what what is happening to people whose names are Siri or Alexa? Is that been done? Is that a story? Like, do you have to change your name at this point? Hey there, welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is July 28th, 2020, and I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor at 538. Joining me in New York City is senior sports writer Neil Payne. Hi, Neil. Hey, Sarah. How are you doing? Fantastic. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. You know, when I said, hey, Sarah, it uh, caused my phone to come on again, thinking I was saying, hey, Siri. So we're off to a great start. Yeah, Siri is really trying to. She did it again. I don't like it. (laughs) Well, that time I did actually say Siri. (laughs) I'll stop saying that now. Okay, from Los Angeles is 538 contributor Jeff Foster. Hi, Jeff. How are you? What is happening to people whose names are Siri or Alexa? Is that been done? Is that a story? Like, do you have to change your name at this point? I had a really good friend named Siri when I was growing up. I yeah, I should reach out to her and see like, hey, are you okay? She's like, (laughs) long time no talk. Leave yeah, me alone. She does not want to talk about it. Do not mention it. <laughs> you guys, there was um we're gonna talk about yeah, how maybe sports are a bad idea, but there were a lot of sports over the weekend and it was actually like really, really fun. Um the Houston Dash won the NWSL Challenge Cup. Again, we managed to not jinx a team by writing about them. Super exciting. And then we also had WNBA opening weekend, which was a blast. Got to see uh, Sue Bird against Sabrina Ionescu. I think Sue Bird's been waiting for that matchup for um, several months and was ready and and took it to the rookie. <laughs> Take that! Welcome to the league. Yeah. What was her? What were her numbers? What What were her stat? What was her final stat line? They were not good. Uh, so she went four for seventeen from the floor, twelve points, uh, but also four turnovers. Six rebounds, four assists, but um, according to basketball reference, she had negative uh, 0.2 win shares in her debut, so hoping for, for better results going forward. It was her first game. She'll be fine. She is great. I wonder how many win shares LeBron had in his first game. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> On today's show, we will talk about baseball's not quite triumphant return over the weekend and what positive COVID-19 tests mean for the season's future. We'll also preview the return of the NHL and talk about what to look for when hockey comes back. And finally, we'll take a deep dive into data with our rabbit hole of the week. Last week, we thought that maybe we could transition from talking about how the coronavirus was affecting sports to just talking about sports. We were such sweet summer children. Major League Baseball was thrown a curve wider than Dr. Fauci's opening pitch hey. when it was announced <laughs> on Monday. I'm glad we that- talked about that because that was in the all-time <laughs> annals of bad first pitches. It was like not quite as bad as 50 cents. I mean, it was off as much, but not thrown as hard. He still got a, uh, a Topps baseball card. I know, the where they so said that he threw a strong, decisive strike to the plate. I object to that description. <laughs> yeah. At least he had the courage to do it. Uh, unlike, you know, some other people. Others, yeah. Uh, great point. Both of you, great points there. <laughs> anyway, it was an There's awesome. a long way of saying I refuse to make fun of him, Perk, because it's nerve-wracking. It's not his job. We shouldn't mock people who do that. That's Have you my ever thrown out a first pitch? Me? Yeah. This season or in general? Uh. No, is the answer regardless. 
Yeah, I haven't done anyway. it yet this season, but uh, usually most seasons I throw out at least one. Anyway, it was announced on Monday that more than a dozen members of the Miami Marlins had tested positive for COVID-19 after having played the Philadelphia Phillies on Sunday when the Marlins already knew four of their players had the virus. This morning, Tuesday morning, it was announced that four more players for the Marlins had tested positive. Games between the Marlins and Orioles and the Phillies and Yankees were quickly postponed, and the Marlins remain quarantined in Philadelphia, waiting to see if anyone else on the team tests positive. What happens now that we're at least temporarily down to 29 baseball teams? Well, in an interview with MLB Network Radio, Dodgers owner Stan Kasten was optimistic about how the league moves forward. I don't believe there's going to be any panic just yet. I think we understood there might be occasions like this, which is why we had our player pool as big as it is. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen to the Marlins because I don't really know the extent of it just yet and who may or may not be uh, infected for how long they may be at risk. So I guess we'll get an update on all of that. Um, my understanding from talking to other teams is that it's supposed to be business as usual, at least for every other team. I know that the game in Miami and in Philadelphia for tonight has been postponed. I don't know. I don't know how we make it up or when. So maybe we'll learn all of those things today, but I also think this is going to be uh, an evolving process. Um, and hopefully this is the worst outbreak we have for the rest of the season because it will teach us some things. But I do think we expected something like this at some point and maybe getting it out of the way uh, early will help teach us things that will avoid repetitions of these going forward. So to start off with, and I, I guess to try to put this generously what did MLB not know three days ago that it will be learning now as it deals with this outbreak? Well, they are learning what to do when like more than half of a team's roster is ineligible. They, now they're going to have to figure out what to do about that and, and, you know, how to fill out the rest of the team. Um, you know, we this analogy came up last week about how this is very much a good metaphor for the rest of the country in terms of how the states you just look i mean we've been it's in some ways it's so not surprising because we've been looking at this happen across the country now for months where certain states you just want to say what did you think was going to happen and it doesn't matter that doesn't change their behavior and look what happens exactly what everyone expected so in in a lot of ways i mean no one should be surprised the question is whether it happens again, to be honest, um, like that. That's really all that matters. I, I feel like they had it in their mindset that this was going to happen and probably going to happen early in the season while players are, are, are kind of adjusting to this new way of, of fulfilling their livelihood. And then everyone would see it and that would be a cautionary tale and it would change sort of the mentality across the league. It, it's almost like that was built in. They were like preparing to fail at least once. I, I, I think you're probably right. I'm not sure. That was a great plan. Like to because failure No, it was a terrible plan. (laughs) Yeah. I also I don't I'm not sure they were prepared for this. I think they thought they'd have a couple of players test positive and they'd, you know, remove those players and then, you know, that's why they have the taxi squads. I don't think they thought someone would get sick and the team would be like, "Eh, let's keep playing. Like that, that part, it's like they forgot step B, right? (laughs) They just, they had step A, 
everyone play and they had step C profit and they forgot that step B meant like you can't, you have to then actually react when someone gets sick. Otherwise, of course, this was going to happen. And being able to catch like a full blown outbreak, I think it's safe to say that the Marlins had are having one of those right now. I think that's maybe another thing that they didn't uh, account for necessarily was the idea that not just a couple players on one team would get sick, but like almost everyone on a team would get sick. And then, you know, how do you manage that? And, And they test them so often that I think they were under the belief that they would be able to catch anything like this early enough in the process that it wouldn't spread through the whole team, making them competitively unviable, uh, which is what the Marlins seem like they are now. And I don't know what they're necessarily going to do to continue to play the season. But this is the thing that like that where I don't understand what happened and, and what procedures are not in place because so Don Manley, the manager of the Marlins, said the team never really considered not playing on Sunday when they already had four positive cases. They had already traveled with people they knew to be sick. So, like, uh, there's a question in all of this of, like, how how much do we trust people, individual players and coaches and owners, and even league officials individually, to do to make the right decisions when it comes to health and safety of other people? people a couple things on that so for starters it was a definitely an error to let that decision be in madeline's madeline's hands that, that it should have been automatic that you fail this amount of tests you cannot play that that was almost ridiculous that that rule wasn't in place second of all i think what we're learning is that you know all this talk about you know the rosin bags and you can you know high five and all these things it's not that it's the giant traveling party that is moving through airports and going in from different states where the outbreaks are, 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 are severe compared to, you know, states where they're not as severe. And of course this is going to happen. I mean, there's certainly, it's not just like, it's like nine guys getting on a bus and, and the pitcher is driving and, and they're going to a game. It's a huge operation. Maybe that should be the way it is now. <laughs> Maybe it should be. Maybe I just solved it right here. <laughs> And the pitcher has to drive. Uh, but I think that's what it is. It's all in the just the it's really the aspects of the game that we don't see the lifestyle aspects of 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 the day to day, you know, going to and fro um, to the ballpark. That is really where these guys are um, at the most risk. And, and that's sort of be that that is what happened here. Now, the other interesting thing is MLB. It was the Marlins. What what would have happened if it was, I don't know, the Yankees, the Dodgers? Yeah. What if it was the Dodgers? You know, they got very lucky because I think the perception was it's a team that is not really a contender at all. Arguably the worst team in the league. Um, not a lot of star power, if any. It's all been traded away. Um, so the impact on the actual on-field product does not seem that effective. But if it does happen to a team, you know, like like LA or like New York, New York being the Yankees, not the Mets, <laughs> all of a sudden that, you know, that changes things. What if you what if you have like, you know, Bellinger and Betts and Kershaw and all these guys around with COVID and and replaced with replacement level guys. I mean, all of a sudden that affects, you know, the competitive balance. This is the thing that I think 
is going to hit home again here. Like, you know, we've seen Eduardo Rodriguez of the Red Sox has a serious heart complication from having COVID. Now it's, it's a complication that happens with other things too. It's not specific to COVID, but still like someone who was healthy in the prime of his life, a professional athlete now isn't sure about the rest, the quality of the rest of his life because of getting this disease. So it is a real thing that actually will affect people even if they're young. And that's, that's something still, I think that like, I think these players don't all like really buy into necessarily. And I think, you know, obviously the general public doesn't. And that's why um, the thing about Mattingly um, and, and sort of leaving it up to, I think they had like a text chain where they asked like the veteran leader of the team, Hey, do you think we should play or not? And he was like, yeah, let's go do it. That's, that's totally unacceptable and it's not on the player and it's not really even necessary. I mean, Mattingly should have known better. He should have been in more control of the situation, but that's where the league, I think you said it, Jeff, there needs to be an automatic policy of if there are, you know, if it's known that X number of players and maybe it's like two or more players on a team test positive or three or something like that, it should trigger an automatic like postponement of a game until the the situation is under control. And maybe they'll get lucky in this one because, you know, we're hearing on Tuesday morning, the early reports about the Phillies test is that nobody tested positive, although that could change. Um, certainly we know that testing, you know, you could test negative one day and positive the next day uh, with this thing. But um, the best uh, the the problem is that the best they can hope for now is that somehow disaster is averted. It didn't spread to the Phillies. It didn't spread to any of the other teams that the Marlins came into contact with. And they can just kind of proceed, you know, with with more caution going forward. But this was like, you know, uh, we think about situations in which um failure, even initial failure, missteps are not an option. You know, this is kind of one of those situations for all the reasons that you said, Sarah, like it's not good enough to to be like, well, we're still working out the bugs when working out the bugs mean that 17 people, 18 people on one organization get COVID. Like this, the kind of spread within a team has to be something that they have a plan for because players, individual players are going to test positive during the season. There is no bubble. They are going to test positive. I mean, the um, Matt Davidson for the Reds tested positive after playing in the opening day, but no other Reds have since tested positive. So that component of like stopping the spread the moment someone tests positive has to be a part of this. Especially when you play every day. I mean, that that's baseball. Like if any league should have daily testing, it should be baseball. Right. No bubble, playing every day and traveling. Yeah, of course. But I I mean, that again, putting aside the testing question, but then the nature of the testing too. like, look what's going on with Juan Soto, the star of the Nationals, who tested positive and then tested negative. And now he's waiting another negative test in 24 hours and then can get pulled off the injury list or something like that. I mean, we don't really even know how reliable these testings, these tests are. And this disease spreads so fast. That, you know, you could play on Friday, you could have two guys have it. Saturday, 12 guys have it. Sunday, the entire team has it. So, yes, yes, they should have. But again, it goes back to the initial point. They should have. They seem like they were anticipating something like this happening. Maybe not to this extent. 
Um, but there was a lot of safeguards that were not already in place, despite knowing that. And and the first being that the fact that the decision power was was on the Marlins for some reason. And I found it interesting that so much of the talk uh, on Monday surrounded this like 90 minute drive that the tests had to go to Rutgers uh, to to be able to be turned around and then come back and and return to the Phillies and the Marlins and uh, maybe also the Yankees. I don't, I don't know who else was involved in that. But like, I don't know, some teams have invested in on site testing and, you know, antigen testing and all this stuff that's like much faster and maybe it's in some ways less reliable and there's other conversations to be had around that but the turnaround times are faster and that requires like an extra investment that uh, only a handful of teams have put in and my question is like why isn't every team doing that like why are we sparing expenses uh you know uh coming out of the owner's pockets because they're the ones that that are kind of footing the bill for um for the test uh, protocols that like, why are they cheaping out on this? Do they not know that like, if this doesn't go well, there will be no season. Like, you know, this is like the, the point in the chain that, that you least want to be weak, uh, lest the whole thing kind of snap into. What is the point of having a league office? If, if these things aren't all controlled by the league. If owners are allowed to decide testing for each team, that's ridiculous. Like the testing for one team obviously affects every other team. Again, like what is Rob Manfred doing? I just don't, like there are, there is a conversation about whether sports should be happening at all, but sports that are managed poorly (laughs) are ridiculous. I mean, like, look, we talked about we talked at the beginning of the show about the NWSL and the WNBA. There have been, there were, there was not a single positive case within the the, the NWSL bubble. There now there was a whole team that didn't play because of positive tests before the bubble. But within the bubble, nobody tested positive. The WNBA hasn't had a, te- a positive test since players emerged from their initial quarantine. The NBA hasn't had any positive tests, so we'll wait to see how Lou Williams' quarantine goes first before making a pronouncement on that. And and MLS that one should have an asterisk yeah, on absolutely. it. So MLS as well after the initial quarantine period in which two teams had to withdraw because of positive tests, they have not. So bubbles work. Bubbles have worked and allowed sports to happen without people risking putting themselves at risk so far and it's it's obviously early in the you know the WNBA has only had one weekend NBA hasn't actually started their real games yet although scrimmages have been happening and there have still been no no positive tests announced and just just logically it makes sense that like if you go into the bubble with minimal positive tests you quarantine they emerge from the quarantine with zero, literally zero positive tests, and you stay in the bubble the whole time, how are you going to get it? Right, exactly. So obviously there is no bubble for MLB, and there will be no bubble for NFL. Jeff, what does this mean for the NFL? Like, are they going to learn anything from this? Are they going to be able to solve this problem? I I think, if anything, this is... As as dark as it is to say this, uh, this is a good thing for the NFL um, because I think they will learn from this certainly because they 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 are certainly at too big to fail status, and there's a lot of money invested and they will not start a season and cancel it. I just don't see it happening, but I do think they want to get it right. And uh, if 
MLB has to be the canary in the coal mine, um, then so be it. And the NFL, I think, you know, has to look at their testing program and how often they're testing their guys. I think they're currently saying they're going to test every day for the first three weeks. Why, why just the first three weeks? I'm not sure. I guess in three weeks, Roger Goodell has deemed that the coronavirus will be over. Um, that seems short-sighted, <laughs> but there are some, uh, differences between the leagues that uh, I think do work in the NFL's advantage. I mean, the one game a week versus a game every day is, is huge. The big challenge for the NFL is just managing like this massive player population that I think is larger than any of the other sports have to deal with um, by like several, a factor of, you know, multiples. Um, and the rules of the virus are still the same, no matter how large your, your roster is. Well, and also just how close the players are in contact in football. I mean, that's the, the one thing with MLB and maybe the saving grace for the Phillies is that they don't, aren't that close to the opposing players. I mean, I just can't, I still, I mean, we've talked about this before, but the way linemen are in the trenches, like it, it just, I don't understand how that's supposed to work without, without someone getting sick. I, and and like yeah. NFL is that like you have, you know, a vested interest in the success of the league that hopefully will make keep people from making bad choices. College football. How? College football is doomed. Let's if we needed more evidence that college football was not happening, um, we we just we probably didn't need more evidence, but we, we just got some more because it, it, it's actually way more of a one to one comparison to MLB because you have this, you know, no really strong central leadership and the leagues, the conferences are being, uh, you know, left to their own devices. And then you have all different you know, varying degrees of how much money the programs have and how much ability, access to testing they'll have. And then you have players who, you know, they're, they're kids, they're college students, they're just going to be harder to control and, and, and to have some better social distancing than I think you will with guys making multiple millions a year. Um, so I, I don't, I honestly don't see how college football happens, but I, I thought that before this happened. Yeah. So. <laughs> I think that's a, I think that's a fair point. I, I will also say if, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic sports played a role in making people understand how important, how like bad the virus was when the NBA shut down and then everything shut down. Um, I think people like realized, Hey, this is a real thing. I, I wonder if this, an entire team getting sick, will 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 be like a spotlight on this again. Like, this isn't over. The virus isn't over. It spreads. It spreads pretty easily and pretty quickly. Um, I mean, I think people had, I, I think people in a lot of places have forgotten or it's just never hit them. And so they never really realized it. But seeing an entire team come down with this could serve as a like warning sign to regular people, maybe. I don't know. I'm just looking for silver linings here, guys. I, I think uh, I think what has a chance to, and this is what I what I fear, and that I think, you know, we talk about the Rudy Gobert moment where that was um, in many ways changed the landscape of sports. That was a wake-up call to the entire North American sports universe <laughs> um, when he got sick, um, which was inevitable. It was going to be anyone. But if someone gets in any sport, gets very sick, God forbid, you know, life-threatening sick, that is going to 
seriously impact all sports because that is the the thing that is working you know the engine behind all these teams want to reopen is this mentality among young healthy people who think you know they get it they're asymptomatic and most of these guys are asymptomatic you read you read even the ones that are on the il for for covid they're feeling fine um but that i think will be the eye-opener that could potentially cancel everything if that does happen yeah absolutely all right there will be lots more to talk about this as we go i'm sure um and you know we'll know more in a couple days even whether uh more baseball players are sick at the moment but i think we can leave this here for now let's take a quick break before we talk about hockey In stark contrast to baseball, the NHL released some good news ahead of its return to play. The league will kick off a 24-team postseason hockey tournament on Saturday, August 1st. Saturday is August, you guys. Uh, Each conference will confine itself to a bubble, the Eastern Conference in Toronto and the Western Conference in Edmonton. And the league announced on Monday that it had no new positive cases after administering more than 4,000 tests to 800 personnel. So assuming that everything continues to go well, we want to take a look at who has the best odds of winning the Stanley Cup, as well as what chance the league as a whole has to expand its audience. A.Q. Shipley, yes, of the Arizona Cardinals, who is also a huge hockey fan, talked about some of the ways the NHL is going to try to make the playoffs more exciting on the That's Hockey Talk podcast. I think this is going to be pretty cool for the NHL. I mean, you don't you know, for, for a league that's trying to gain popularity amongst the fans, right? I think this is going to kind of give a little better insight because you and I have seen it. We've seen a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, and we, we love the chirping that goes on oh, yeah. you know, amongst benches or even on the ice or, um, you know, a lot of that stuff. And, I mean, I think uh, – what is it? The, the all-access Stanley Cup stuff that goes on on, like, HBO or Showtime or whatever. I think that stuff's always gives you, like, a pretty good – behind the scenes look at some of that stuff, which I think is awesome. So I hopefully now you'll be able to get much more of that, you know, weekly and daily and kind of what it goes with every game. So what do you guys think of the NHL's efforts to stage, I guess, glossier, more spectacular games to make up for the fact that all the teams are playing in empty arenas? Jeff, do you think it'll draw new play, new people in? I think it, it potentially might. It's certainly interesting. I mean, you look at what they're doing and, you know, in in some ways the NHL is perfect for this um, because they've always kind of been in an uphill battle to fight for popularity and to compete against the NBA and to compete against the other sports. Um, And that causes them to innovate. And we've constantly seen this league try to innovate. Look at the All-Star game. You know, they were they were the first league to really experiment with different things you can do with their All-Star game to make the, you know, draw new fans. So I think in some ways the league is built to constantly have an eye towards new fans and more fans um, because they are, you know, in theory still growing or trying to grow. You know, they haven't reached NFL NBA status or even MLB status the way MLB is, you know, the the national pastime and can kind of rest on its laurels so um what they're doing to make, <laughs> even though no young people like it that's a whole different conversation um but it, it, it look at what they're doing to make the fan experience better and it, it looks cool i mean it, it 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 is really geared towards television i think they're up from like 20 cameras to 32 cameras on ice they're talking about drones they got led boards I don't know what the LED board's purpose is, but they're <laughs> all in the backdrop, so you're not looking at empty seats. 
um, piping in, you know, home teams. I did air quotes there, which is not good for a podcast. <laughs> uh, home, <laughs> home teams, chants, and all sorts of things. They, they are innovating and they're making the most of it. And I think the thing that's most in their advantage, they're probably in the least danger of having a Miami Marlins situation because they're in Canada, which is going to work towards their advantage greatly. Well, let's switch gears to talk about just who might win all these hockey games. Neil, you ran some simulations to see how the postseason would go. Has anything drastically changed since the regular season was interrupted? In terms of the overall favorites, not really. So uh, I should say that these simulations are based on Hockey References simple rating system, which is just basically goals per game differential adjusted for strength of schedule as of the last games, which I think were on March 11th. And so what I did was I ran two sets of 10,000 simulations, one uh, simulating the rest of the regular season and the playoffs as though COVID never happened. God, if only (laughs) uh, that were true. And then also uh, 10,000 simulations of this kind of weird new system, which will have the top four seeds in each conference play their own little round robin under regular season rules for seeding. And then the the rest of the teams uh, seeded five through 12 in each conference will play a basically a knockout round uh, best of five series for the right to get into the round of 16, which is the normal uh, playoff uh, first round. And those will be under playoff rules. Uh, but basically, between the two, the the favorites in each set of simulations were the Boston Bruins. Uh, the Avalanche and Lightning were both at around 11 12%. They flip-flopped as to who was second and who was third. Then fourth in each simulation were the Blues. Fifth were the Flyers in each one. Uh, the Capitals were sixth. The Golden Knights were seventh in each one. So if we're talking about the top of the, uh, the league, it really didn't change Uh, not just the pecking order, but like their odds didn't change at all. Uh, But there are some interesting wrinkles uh, in terms of who picked up or, or or lost odds around the cutoff, for instance, between the top four uh, in each uh, conference and the number five, the Pittsburgh Penguins, who had a 98% chance of making the round of 16, the, the playoffs, the, what we think of as the old first round um, under the normal system. Now uh, they're going to have to fight their way in just to be able to, to play in that round of 16 by playing an extra series beforehand, which they only have a 59% chance of winning, even though they are taking on the Montreal Canadiens who are the lowest rated team in the, in the restart. And so it's kind of unfair to some of these teams that look like locks for the playoffs under the old system, the Hurricanes, the Oilers. Those are uh, a couple other ones that lost the most uh, because of this. Whereas you have other teams that maybe, you know, they would make the playoffs, but they weren't going to get like an automatic, you know, ticket punched into later rounds the dallas stars because they are the fourth seed in the west they get to kind of skip right ahead to that round of 16 they don't have to play uh in any of the qualifying um uh games and yet they're rated much lower according to srs than a lot of other teams including the penguins and the hurricanes and the oilers so you talked a little bit about the like the the formats as we start this too um so we'll have this like the best of five elimination series, but also this like mini round robin tournament to determine the top four seeding. Jeff, what do you think about those formats? Are you excited to see that kind of play into this in this brand new way? There was no, uh, I think, perfect solution. I think this one's probably the best, but I think with all these like 
you know, possible plans that they were going to do, you know, someone is going to get screwed over. In this case, it's it's probably the Oilers um, and the Penguins, as Neil said, because I think there's a huge drop off between four and five, obviously, that you can you have the the, the top four teams are going to definitely have an added luxury because they're not playing as many games. They have, you know, more off days. And they also, you know, we, we hear a lot from NHL players that, you know, playing playoff hockey and playing regular season hockey. And I guess this is true in the NBA, too. It's just a completely different beast. And they'll have a few games to get up to playoff form or at least get closer to that than another team that's just diving right in here. Um, But it is pretty unfair to the Oilers, considering you look at the difference between the Stars and the Oilers. They had the same amount of wins and just one more loss. And that's the difference between having to play a whole nother round versus getting to play in the luxury of this round robin. But I you know, someone was going to get the short stick regardless. I think this is actually the the best case scenario um, because you need to give those teams that are fighting for a playoff chance a shot, um, even though if they're not in the top eight right now, they certainly could have been by the end of the season. And you can forget teams like my New Jersey Devils <laughs> that were afterthoughts and also Rams regardless, and they can just go home. Both afterthoughts and also quietly. Rams. I like it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. In this case, both. Um, we lose that. Um, so all the serious competitive teams are um, are there. Although I think that, I mean, the, the, the bar for who they let in, I realized that they set it up as the 2014 playoff in part just to get that symmetry of, okay, you've got the first round series and then they all filter into, you know, who gets to play the top four who had the bye. But it, it really includes some teams that had almost no chance of making the playoffs. And I'm talking specifically about the Montreal Canadiens and the Chicago Blackhawks. So the Montreal Canadiens had less than a 0.1% chance of making the playoffs if the regular season had actually been allowed to play out as, as normal. And the Blackhawks had a 2% chance of making the playoffs. But now... They get to play in a, you know, not a, not exactly a coin flip of a first round series or qualifying round series. I guess we're still calling the round of 16 the first round, um, but a lot better chances than they would have had uh, if they had had to try to kind of mount a, 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 a postseason run in the last few weeks of the regular season uh, and, and try to surmount all of these other teams that were ahead of them. So I think they were the big winners in all this. And you also have teams like the New York Rangers. Uh, they were on kind of the bubble of the playoffs, uh, but had you know more talent than some of the other teams that were uh, down around their their place in the standing. So at least for them, you could make a credible case oh they might leapfrog some teams and maybe you could say that about Chicago but you probably couldn't say that about Montreal and then like we know with hockey hockey is kind of random playoff hockey is is random uh, and you don't even have the aspect of home ice in this which we've done some research in the past that it like doesn't really matter that much in hockey compared with other sports like specifically basketball and football but it is something to reward the teams that had the better record and here now unless you're Edmonton or Toronto nobody has home ice and so you have even you know more of a chance to knock off uh one one of the teams that had probably in the case of you know like Montreal versus Pittsburgh a vastly better season than you did, but in a best of five series, you still have a fighting chance to to pull off the upset. Hockey is weird, though. It's not like the NBA. Well, maybe it will be like the NBA with no home court advantage, but or more like the NBA. Um, 
where we have seen eight seeds win the Stanley Cup um, in its old format. So who knows? I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if if one of these, you know, uh, 10, 11, 12 seeds gets hot and, and knocks off one of the teams that's in the round robin. I mean, that wouldn't surprise anybody. That's just the way hockey goes. You get a good goalie playing well. You can you can do a lot. They should rename the bubble chaos on the ice. See. <laughs> marketing right here hey i like yeah, that yeah, yeah. yeah all right look at that <laughs> let's end this by getting the most important thing on the record seattle's new nhl team and logo how do you guys like the kraken i want to hear i actually i have an opinion on the kraken okay. i want to hear sarah's opinion on the kraken as the non-hockey fan <laughs> what do you think i love it? it i think it's great i think it's okay. cool i think the logo is beautiful i think it's fun um, I mean, team names are stupid. Like if you think about what are, what these names are for teams, they're all dumb. Like the twins is a stupid name. <laughs> like who, no one is, is intimidated by twins like that. I guess maybe the twins and the shining. I don't know. But like, that's not like a scary name. When you think about all these names, they're dumb. Like they're all dumb at first. So I liked the Kraken. I thought it was fun. I thought they they played up the whole Seattle vibe. And um, I like that Kraken Rum is going to be a sponsor. <laughs> is it really? Yeah, they just uh, reached a deal with That's them. pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. So I liked it. I, I I personally wanted the Sockeyes. I think that would have been a cool name and also a weird name. <laughs> I, I do think, you know, this sort of goes back to what I was saying about the NHL. I mean, they are looking for new fans. I mean, you most diehard hockey fans are entrenched and people in the area probably already root for the Canucks if they've already serious hockey fans. So they are, you know, looking for younger and, and um, maybe non-hockey fans to come on board. And I think it's a good move in that sense. And I do like um, what they did with the design. I didn't like that. Jerry Bruckheimer is one of the owners and the Kraken. He's, he's part of the ownership group. And the Kraken is somewhat been brought back by one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And that seems to be some of the motivation here. And the NHL already has an exp- experience with naming their teams after Disney movies and maybe regretting it later. So we'll see how that works out. First of all, I would say bring back the Mighty Ducks. Yeah, that's actually okay. true. First of all. <laughs> you <laughs> like also- that movie a lot, though. <laughs> But remember that Pirates of the Caribbean is actually like the movie came from a theme, uh, like a ride at Disney. So like, there's just a long, it's fine. It wasn't (laughs) even the first Pirates of the Caribbean though. It was like a sequel (laughs) with the squid face guy. Another drawback of Kraken (laughs) is that it, um, it it adds to the number of non plural Mm. team names. And I don't know how you guys feel about that. I mean, uh, you know, some people are pro, some are con, uh, but right now there aren't that many surprisingly few uh, big four men's sports pro league teams that don't have uh, an S at the end of them. And the Kraken would join that group. Hockey already had the Avalanche, the Wild and the Lightning uh, in the NBA. You've got the Heat, the Thunder, the Magic and the Jazz. And uh, there are no NFL teams unless we say the Washington football team now does join that <laughs> club uh, technically for for at least one season. And in baseball, I don't know how we feel about the Red Sox and the White Sox. They end in X, but it's 
kind of like having plural, you know, the S at the end. Uh, it's it's, yeah, it's kind of an old timey weird. Yeah. It, if you pronounce it out, it has the S. So I don't know whether we count them, but the Kraken are joining that fine crew. And there's a bunch of WNBA teams. Uh, I would say maybe probably the, the majority of WNBA teams have the non-plural um, ending to the name. So, you know, this, this could just be what happens when you're adding new teams. You, all of the plural ones are taken. And, but sockeyes would have been plural, so you know there's what, another. What, what, also, why not crack ins? Is it a singular crack. monster? Is that the problem? Is it like a? Is it like Bigfoot, and you can't have big feet? <laughs> right. I think the plural of kraken is kraken. So that I are we sure about? Well, that? it's both. We we looked did. it up. I think. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it can be either. I find it very annoying though, because then you have to kind of uh right around you know construct your sentence to to match the the team's <laughs> right. dopey this is name like sports writer problems right here <laughs> that is right. true right no one cares no. <laughs> all right well let's leave that here for now pro kraken here um i'm gonna i'm gonna live with i'm that. pro kraken for what it's worth because I, I like I'm the logo kraken. and the and the color scheme and the jersey i think is really cool all right i think we talked are Jeff we pro it. washington football club I mean, who cares? Who cares? <laughs> Screw them. <laughs> by the way, classic NHL, by the way, to announce the Kraken on the same day Washington, really within the same hour as Washington football. Oh, club. but I like, thought Washington, I mean, I thought the Kraken had like staked it out first and then uh, Washington yeah. was using the, the Kraken announcement as cover for their own thing. Now, see, uh, I think that the real move would have been to announce yourself as the Washington hockey team, as in the the state of Washington, and, and oh, then really preempt and then the SEO the goal Washington. That would have been very team. funny. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, what a missed opportunity! All right, let's leave this here for now. Hockey starts on Saturday, um, so we will check in to see how that bubble is going once it gets started. All right, we'll be back in a moment for our rabbit hole of the week. At 538, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories, some don't. We end each week's show with one of these descents, the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. And this time, guys, the rabbit hole is mine. I watched on Friday night as history was made. The first game of the season for the Los Angeles Angels and the Oakland A's was tied after nine innings at three runs apiece. So to start the 10th, Angels 2A phenom Shohei Otani trotted out to second base as the first ever automatic runner in MLB history. He did not score. His foray into history was an unsuccessful one. He got caught in a pretty terrible rundown when pinch hitter Jared Walsh hit a grounder to first. And the Angels didn't score at all. So then Oakland's Marcus Simeon, who had made the last out in the bottom of the ninth, started the bottom of the tenth on second base. Angels pitcher Hansel Robles hit Ramon Laureano with a pitch, struck out Matt Chapman, threw a wild pitch that advanced both runners, and then walked Chris Davis. It was a very eventful outing for him. Hobie Milner came on in relief of Robles, and with his first pitch in front of his drawn-in fielders, he grooved a 77-mile-an-hour curveball to Matt Olson, who launched it 427 feet into the empty right field seats for a grand slam. Simeon was the 
first automatic runner to score in MLB history. As he and his teammates celebrated non-socially distantly at home plate, I wondered how the record books would handle it. Simeon had done nothing, literally nothing more than make a third out, and yet he was credited with the winning run. So that feels ridiculous to me. It's not really how baseball works, even in like kind of silly situations where like a reliever gets credit for a win when he only has to get, you know, one out. The person getting the credit has still done something to contribute to whatever happened. With the automatic runner, you didn't do anything to get into scoring position. You just walk out there for making the last out. Unless you steal third and then steal home, which would be very awesome, and I hope we see that at some point, someone else is doing all the work to get you in as that winning run. And the rules sort of acknowledge that because the pitcher in the situation isn't scored as having given up an earned run. The run is counted as unearned. So, like, I obviously don't love (laughs) the automatic runner rule. I knew I was going to hate it going into the season and then seeing it play out, I, I still hated it. But as I was fuming about this on on Friday night, it occurred to me that it's not the only time in sports when a player gets credit for something she or he did not do. In basketball, when a ball is scored that was last touched by the opponent, like sometimes happens on a tip-in, the basket is credited to the offensive player closest to the ball at that moment. Though I would argue that even those players do more than automatic runners in baseball, since they are at least tangentially involved in the play. They're like there at least they're doing something. Um, As a side note though, I do wish that there were own goals in basketball. Like there are in soccer. Wouldn't that be fun? Like if we had to like sort that out, it would be a statistical nightmare, but it would also be really funny. Um, Basketball does have kind of an opposite rule. The team rebound when no individual person collects a rebound, but, but a team gains possession after a, Miss shot because the ball went out of bounds or there was a like a loose ball foul. I've always kind of loved team rebounds. It's like a like team rebounded a box score. It's like they were doing some sort of team building activity or something. They got it together. Anyway, so I can think of other things in sports where you get credit without doing very much because like the opposing player screwed up, like getting a sack when the quarterback, you know, tripped and fell. But that's more just an individual play being weird, not a universal rule being weird. Can you guys think of other sports situations in which players get credit for not actually doing anything? Well, I think an own goal in hockey is credited to the player on the offensive team who last touched the puck beforehand. So you could do nothing and just cough the puck up. But then if the defenseman scores into his own net, you get a goal for that, which is different from the soccer yeah. version of the rule. That's a good, uh, yeah. Where it's just sort of like no one gets credit, I guess, in in hockey scorekeeping. Someone from the offense must always get some credit when a goal is scored. Why do they do that? Why do? You, why is it more important in hockey to give that credit than in soccer? I don't know. I mean, I assume it's just something about having the um, goals in and goals out add up at the end of the game. So it's like the sum of all goals scored by players on Team A must equal number of goals scored by team a which is hilarious that was my assumption since they don't care that points from a game add up given the overtime (laughs) loss that's a good point that's a really good point (laughs) but i i would argue you see this in baseball currently like for instance this i mean obviously the save rule is problematic we've seen this all the time where a guy will give up 
you know, protecting a three run lead will give up two runs and load the bases and then get a save if his team still wins, when, even though he did his job very poorly. Um, but if it's a four run lead, no save. So I think it is, you know, there are some and, and, and look at who they award wins to in baseball. It, it's pretty arbitrary if it's tied later in the innings and, and 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 some pitcher just happened to be at the right spot when his team took the lead, gets a win. Um, but I, I don't think we 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 pay much attention to wins uh, in general in this uh, five thirty eight universe. So <laughs> That's a good point. Talk about it. But that is a good point that like pitching stats like that saves and wins are really they're still dependent on the offense. Like you're not going to get a win even if you don't give up a single run. You're not going to get the win unless your offense scored. So that's that's a good point. That is a weird thing about baseball. And and, and in football, the the tackle stats are very fudgy. In in fact, they're they're done. I think by the the whoever the local the home team scorer is, and there's some speculation that certain teams juice the the tackle stats and and are you know give them out more sparingly than other teams. Um, in, in other cases. And then you have scenarios where, like, you can lobby the league to get sack and tackle stats afterwards, you know, because this this stuff is important. Um, if, if you're one of those defensive players and, and your next contract is based on your some of these counting stats, like, why wouldn't you do that? Although I think in some ways football also gets it more right than some of these other sports. So another area where I was thinking maybe there could be some weird uh, loophole in which a player did nothing and got credit was on like laterals in uh, in football. But the way that they track it is basically say you have like a 60-yard pass where uh, it, it goes 40 yards downfield to one player and then he laterals to another player for an additional 20 yards. Uh, the way they score that is the first player gets the catch. He also gets 40 receiving yards, but then the second player gets 20 receiving yards, but no catches, by the way, <laughs> uh, on, you know, for his subsequent role. And if a touchdown is scored, the player that scores it gets credit for it. Uh, so uh, the the credit parsing system in that regard, it does seem to be very accurate. You know, if, if I caught a pass one yard downfield and then lateral to someone else who ran 99 yards, the person that ran 99 yards would get the 99 yards of credit on that. And, and, and it can get even extreme to the point where if I throw a pass as a quarterback and then it gets lateral back to me and I score, I would get a passing touchdown and a receiving touchdown on the same play. <laughs> Also, Sarah, would it have bothered you as much if, let's say, the next guy got a single up the middle and he had uh, the the pinch runner, Simeon, had to run from second and make a uh, you know close, you know, slide at the plate? Does has he done more to uh, merit the run? Because we do have pinch runners. Like he he could have had a double and then you know to lead off the inning and then was taken out for a pinch runner and the pinch runner would get the run. Yeah. It's just the fact that he, in this case walked home. Yeah, <laughs> he did. He didn't do anything here. He didn't have to. I mean, as the, the pitchers took care of that for him. Um, yeah. I mean, pinch runners like that. So as a fantasy baseball player, I'm always super annoyed when like my guy hits a double and then he's taken out of the, the game worst. for a pinch runner and I don't get the run. Mm. We need those. I runs. hate that. Um, yeah, that is a the, the similar kind of case. I just hate it. I hate I hate the whole thing. I hate it. 
it was well, they've shifted around they've shifted around the blame also right because the uh it's treated for the purposes of the pitcher i don't know how it worked in this situation because they brought in a subsequent reliever i guess it was still credited to the initial no i don't yeah. know uh but they treat it like the batter on second reached on error right. so you're not actually held accountable for the earned run right. if you are the pitcher in that first run score so i think even in this case where robles made like a total mess of the inning he did not get penalized for uh, for the run that was the first run that crossed the plate. Right, not for his ERA. Right, he was he was for the the next two, um, <laughs> but not for the first one. I, I I sort of wonder why don't they just put runners on first and second? Because it seems to me that most teams and he hit the next guy, perhaps a coincidence. <laughs> um, but it seems like most most teams are going to want to have that first base spot filled to get the four sound anyway so why why are we going to go through this charade yeah i guess it probably depends on whether you're this if you're the home team or the away team right like you don't really want to like give up more runs if you're um the home team and you're pitching in the top of the inning i think Uh, yeah i don't know i i suppose just two runs on that that two runners on that didn't do anything to get there is just a, a bridge too far <laughs> for the moment. Anyway, <laughs> I, I, I'm somehow trying to make it work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there have been, there was another game last night, the brewers um, and uh, pirates went into extras and, and uh, I mean, it's an interesting like cat and mouse game who can score that runner on second. Um, so that part I have been fascinated by, but I still hate it. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, sports situations that uh, that that people get credit for. If you have more listeners, please tweet them at us and, and we'll think about those too. <laughs> All right. I think that will do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back in your feed next Tuesday. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. And if you are subscribed, please rate and review us on your podcast app of choice. You can also email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think. Our podcast producer is Sarah Shackett. Tony Chow is in the virtual control room. And our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. For Neil and Jeff, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.